So less than two weeks ago, we saw the collapse, uh, the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. Wednesday, March 8th, you have Silicon Valley Bank. They did a mandatory uh, regulatory filing, and it sort of indicated some major losses. And then people started dumping their stock, and the stock price fell overnight. And then, then there was a run on the bank, and poof, it just collapses on that Friday. Uh, that was it. So I don't understand financial systems and banking systems. I don't get it. Um, what I do know, what I think I'm correct, my financial experts can correct me if I'm wrong, but when there's uh, turmoil in the banking industry, it's not good. Um, <laughs> your head's deep. Um, you know, people, investors are a little skittish, and there's fears and uh, risk, and people are asking questions like, is our banking system about to collapse, or our whole financial system, is it seems to be kind of fragile and held up by a lot of uh, bad debt, and is this whole thing going to crash? And, uh, you know, and President Biden steps up and he says, you know, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. And I don't know if that reassured you or some people made them more nervous, you know, when they hear these kind of announcements. But it is amazing how fragile the institutions of our world can be. Things that look very wealthy and strong can very quickly fall apart. We're continuing our study through the book of Revelation. Here in chapter 18 is the image of this great city, Babylon, this strong, wealthy city. And, and just like that, poof, it's been wiped out, and the smoke is rising, smoldering off the rubble of this city. And everybody's looking at it saying, wow, that looked really strong. And now it's gone, complete ruin, in just a moment. So we're going to look at this image today, and as we look at this image, it's going to force us, as we look at it, to ask some questions of ourselves. The first question is, what do we think is really valuable in this world? What are the things that I'm pursuing in the few days that God has given me to live in this world? What are the things that I'm pursuing? What do I give myself to? Where are the affections of my heart? What am I drawn to? What do I see as valuable? What do I see as good? Where do I put my hope? in an unstable world. So as we approach God's word, let us pray together. So Father God, I believe that everybody who's in this room is here for a reason, and that you have something that you want us to hear and to know today. So I pray that the words of the Proverbs would be true for us, that we would trust in you, Lord, with all of our hearts, that we would lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways, acknowledge and follow you, Pray that you would teach us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So to get you up to speed, we've been uh, looking through the book of Revelation, and some people interpret this, these, this book, these writings, as uh, a description of future events that happen, you know, kind of a sequence of event, events that lead to the end of time or the end of the age. The way that we interpret these writings, it really is a description of the world between the time... Uh, Jesus' first coming and his second coming. So it does describe end times things, but it really describes the world that we live in today in a lot of ways. And it makes sense of our world as we look at these images. But the images in the book are weird, and they're intense, and they can be hard to understand. So we're going to be thinking about what's happening here now in Revelation 17, 18, and 19, if you've been reading along. And in Revelation 17, we meet a new character. It's a prostitute. 
And the prostitute is riding on the seven-headed beast who we met a couple weeks ago. So it's kind of a, a weird image. Um, she, this prostitute, is also called the city Babylon. We're told that in the text. And so she represents a city or a society that's aligned with the systems of evil. Because remember, this beast that she's riding on represents all of the institutions of the, the systems of evil in our world. And the prostitute then is uh, symbolic of any city or state or nation that kind of works along with evil systems. So we have a contrast here. We see, so it's called Babylon. It's also called the city of Satan. And it's also called the prostitute. Contrasted with what's described elsewhere in Revelation as Jerusalem or the city of God or the pure bride. So Babylon in this context is not a specific city, but it's, it's more of a representative type of a city. So it's very symbolic here. And so we have these two societies that are against each other. You've got the, the way of God and the way of Satan. You've got good versus evil. You've got the, the lamb versus the beast again and again. So the question for us is who are you going to follow? Which way of the world are you going to follow? And it seems obvious to us, the choice seems really easy to say, yeah, let's avoid the prostitute and the beast and the evil, and let's follow God in his way. We want to know God. We want to follow God. We want to uh, live a good life and to um, be part of the goodness in our world. So that seems kind of an obvious choice, a simple choice. But here's the problem. The problem is that evil in our world is not just out there. It's not just institutions of evil. It's not just gang violence in Haiti. It's not just evil systems and corrupt systems. The evil in the world also lives in the human heart. It's not just out there. It's in here. And unless God comes in and changes my heart and gets a hold of my heart, I'm going to keep being allured. Again, the image is a prostitute with seductive clothing and, and with fancy jewelry. I'm going to be drawn to things that are actually unhealthy for me, things that will destroy my life, things that are not good for me. Even if I think the choice is, I want to do good, but my heart is, I'm, I'm falling for the allure of this woman or of this city or of this system. Unless God comes in and changes my affections and changes my heart, we will all be tempted. So two ways that I want to point out that we can experience that temptation from this text. The first is that she tempts us with pride. She tempts us with pride. Verse 10 so of these people standing around the city, they say, terrified at her torment, they will stand far off and cry, woe, woe to you, great city, you mighty city of Babylon. In one hour, your doom has come. You know, that you're so strong and you're, you're so mighty and yet you're so wiped out. And it's, it's this pride of, of feeling strong and, and all the accomplishment and all the wealth that is really leads to the downfall. Because God hates pride. Pride is the anti-God state of mind. Psalm 10 says, it, In his pride, the wicked man does not seek God. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. If you have pride, there's no room for God. The Christian author, C.S. Lewis, he put it like this. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. Because when you encounter God, you encounter something that is in every respect greater than you. You have nothing to be proud of. However you conceive of God, God is almighty, all-powerful. And when we see ourselves in our lives in light of him, we realize how small we are and how great 
he is. We want to experience God, our creator, in our lives. We want to experience his grace and his love, but we are allured away by this other path, this evil path. We're drawn from it, this path of pride. And pride can be collective, like a city or nationalistic pride. You know, it's, it's good to be patriotic, and that's fine. But there's this, uh, these sort of where nationalism, where uh, your, your nation or your civic, the place where you live, you know, becomes this, you know, idol in your heart. Um, but individual pride as well, my own strength. You know, look at how important I am. Whenever we feel superior to other people, that's where pride is creeping in. That's where we're getting seduced into, into pride. But we need God's grace to help us to see it, to turn from it, and we need, we need God's grace to get rid of it and to follow his way. One of the biggest symptoms of pride, one of the biggest indicators, is a lack of regard for other people. So the image of this prostitute in chapter 17. So she's riding on the seven-headed beast, and she's drinking the blood of the martyrs, which is it's a disgusting, it's a hideous image. But just the utter disregard for the, for the lives that you've destroyed. But in smaller ways, anytime we, we don't have regard for other people, again, pride can be creeping in. But what does pride feel like? What does it look like? Well, let me give you some examples of what this might look like. I've shared this with you before, but it's, it's too good. Um, there's all kinds of sources of pride in our lives. One could be family pride where you say, it sounds like this, my children are well-behaved, succeed in school, so that must make me a better parent. People must be inspired by what a loving parent I am. It's pride. Or the pride of accomplishment. I'm better read, more articulate, better educated, which obviously makes me superior. There's job pride. It sounds like this. I am a valuable person because I work hard, I produce good things. I am successful. Or my work is important to society because I educate or medicate or protect or beautify or steward or what you, you name it. It's pride. There's even religious pride. I am a better follower of Jesus than others because I read the Bible more. I attend church more regularly than others. I fast during Lent. And my theology is superior to most. Now, those aren't bad things, attending church. Uh, reading your Bible, fasting, these are good things, but they, these are not things that add value to you. They're not things that make you better than others or superior to others. That's pride. There's schedule pride. I am self-disciplined and always on time, unlike, name the person. Actually, I heard a couple of names there. <laughs> My spouse or... Is political pride. My political views are clearly superior, and I look at people on the other side of the aisle, and I know that I am a better person than them. It's political pride. It's financial pride. I'm not like those materialistic Christians who can't control themselves. They are so selfish and self-absorbed. Why can't they be more like me? I'm radically generous to the church and other groups. I save. I tithe. Why can't people be more like me? You can see in so many ways, pride can creep in from anything that we do, even good things. And this is any kind of success or achievement or anything that makes us feel like we're better than other people is pride. The antidote for pride is humility. And Jesus Christ shows us 
humility. Jesus said in Matthew 11, he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And there you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, you're going to learn from me because I'm humble. It's, Jesus shows us a downward path of mobility that is totally countercultural to Babylon, totally countercultural to the worldly way of success. And we remember, it's Jesus who gave up his heavenly home, his, all of his heavenly splendor, to come and to take on the human condition, to walk where we walk, to serve, to bring his kingdom, and ultimately to give his life for us on the cross, giving away his life to save us, to bring us new life. That's why our missions program that we're highlighting today is so important, because it's, it's our way of serving others. It's, it's um, helping the poor. It's, it's, and it's, it's not just sending money to faraway places, but also the ways that we can do this in our own community, serving a meal at the Corona Meal Center, helping the homeless through the bridge ministry in the uh, Merrimack Valley Dream Center, helping at the pregnancy care center, and, all the, and just a number of different ways that we can be involved and help people in need and give of our time and give of our money and give of ourselves. But we need to have our hearts reshaped by God. Because even our serving, you know, look how, look how great we serve other people. That you know, can become a source of pride there, too. But we, we remember what Christ has done for us. We follow the way of Jesus. But the temptation is towards pride, always drawn towards pride. That's the first temptation. The second temptation is the temptation of luxury. So this is the temptation of money or wealth or even just comfort. So if you look at the, the image that was read for us in the scripture, it's, it's a whole city that was built on this amazing opulence and wealth and luxuries from all over the world. Look at verse 11. It says, The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her because no one buys their cargoes anymore. Cargoes of gold, silver, precious stones and pearls, and fine linen and purple, silk, and scarlet cloth, every sort of citron wood, articles of every kind of ivory, costly wood, bronze, iron, marble, blah, 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 on and on and on and on. All the finest stuff in the world. And then verse 14, they will say, the fruit you long for is gone from you. All your luxury and splendor have vanished, never to be recovered. You know, all the nice stuff, luxury, the finest foods, all these comforts can be a major temptation for anyone. You know, it's, it's, we're talking about materialism and just greedy consumption. But most of us don't think we have a problem with this. Most of us would say, yeah, the most important thing in life is not possessions. We all agree it's not possessions. Those things are not important. Yet we can live and spend in ways that actually look like maybe it is really important. And we don't think it's our problem because we tend, at times, to compare ourselves to other people. And when we compare ourselves to other people, there's always somebody who has way nicer stuff than us. They're spending way more on their stuff. They're living a way more lavish lifestyle, and we're not even close to that, so we feel good about what we're doing. And at any level of, of your sort of socioeconomic journey, you'll always know someone who's just way more materialistic than you. Is it wrong to make a lot of money? No. Is it wrong to have a nice house? No. To have nice clothing? No. These are good things. These things are fine. It's, it's about wanting more and more of it. It's about flaunting these things. It's when they, they play a place in your heart that really only God belongs there. That's where it's a problem. The money is not the problem. It's the human heart that's the problem. It's my heart that's allured 
by this, you know, this seduction to material things. The good news of Jesus Christ is this, that even though he was ultimately wealthy, he made himself poor for us. He didn't flaunt his heavenly authority. He didn't flaunt his power. Isaiah 53 describes the Messiah, describes Jesus like this. It says, He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. The prostitute, the city, the society, that the, the, the worldly way, it's, it's enticing, it's tempting. We're tempted by pride. We can be tempted by luxury. Pride leads to destruction. All the material things that we think can satisfy us or make us happy, they bring us pleasure, they end up worthless. Just like this smoldering city when it all just burns down. It's just, it's gone. So we ask ourselves, what, what do I value? in my life? What are my priorities in the few days that God has given me to live on this earth? What gets the affections of my heart? And where do I put my hope in an unstable world? Let us pray. Father God, I pray that you change my heart in regards to this. I pray that your spirit would invade us in a way to see what is truly valuable, what is truly important in this world. Lord, we, we, we were enticed by these things. Lord, we pray that you would change our hearts to, to see it, to recognize it, to turn from it, and to turn to you, Lord. Empower us to be your people. And may you be glorified. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.